0: Hey, y'all, this is Sam's Daddy. This week on the show, New York Times reporter Caitlin Dickerson and the host of the news from BuzzFeed, Julia Furlan. All right, let's start the show.
1: Hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. This week we are in, as Alicia Keys says, the concrete jungle where dreams are made of. Why did she in that sense of the preposition? I don't know. I'll never know. But we're in New York. Happy to be here. Uh, Betty called it Two great guests today
2: Thank you Betty <laughs> Caitlin Thanks.
1: Dickerson Covering immigration At the New York Times And lots of other stuff too uh, And Julia Furlan Host of the BuzzFeed News Podcast Which is called The News And also supervising producer Of the BuzzFeed Pod Squad. Glad wah, wah, you're wah. here Oh that it's was so nice to Do it again
2: wah, wah, wah.
1: That was a good one That was a good one <laughs> Is
2: that a requirement for the job? Yes
1: <laughs> Very serious We also have, in studio with us right now, the sounds of Post Malone. Why are you laughing? I like this song. And this song had a big week. It did. This Post Malone song is called Rockstar. (laughs) Every word is bleeped. But he says Rockstar. There we go. There we go. (laughs) Anyways, I'm playing this song because this song, Rockstar, won Song of the Year this week at the MTV Video Music Awards. Big deal, right? Right. So it was a great uh, event for Post Malone. He performed on stage with Aerosmith at the show. He was having a great week. But then the next day, his plane got in trouble. You know about this, huh?
3: Yeah, the plane drama was wild. I know.
1: So his... Two of the tires blew out on the plane, and they had to have an emergency landing, but it took hours before they could emergency land. And, and they were so, just circling? So they were doing something in the air for over four hours. But because Post Malone is 23, he was tweeting about the entire ordeal <laughs> throughout. <laughs> Amazing. And so he tweets like, y'all, it might be an emergency. These tires blown out. We're in the air. I'm scared. And instead of the internet being a nice place, no, um, people never... on Twitter were like, we hope it crashes. <gasps> Why yeah. is the internet so mean, Julia?
3: You know, it's both things all at once. It's not a monolith, but it's usually bad immediately. Anything that
1: happens in <laughs> it
3: like time sensitive wise, yeah. it's usually bad first.
1: So, Poor Post Malone is in the air, not sure if he's going to get down and everyone's tweeted at him RIP RIP RIP. <laughs> so he makes it down and he is the bigger the bigger adult of this whole situation. He tweets, I landed guys. Thank you for your prayers. Can't believe how many people wished death on me on this website, but not today. <laughs> Post Malone, I salute you. I'm glad you're okay. You are, dare I say, a rock star.
2: That's how a rock star handles
1: death threats <laughs> or death wishes. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Julia and Caitlin are here with me to look back on the week of news and culture and everything else. We have a lot to talk about. Oh, God, it was a week. It's it been was like week. seven weeks.
2: It's been a massive <laughs> it's week. It's a lot. Mm-hmm.
1: Also, all you Friday listeners want to send you back in our feed to our latest Tuesday episode. I talked with Kari Scoglin. She's one of the directors of The Handmaid's Tale. And she tells me how she gets through being on set for some of the most difficult to watch scenes on TV right now. All right, let's get into it. I'm going to start as we always do. I'm going to have my panelists describe their week of news in only three words. Caitlin, we're having you go first because I know that you're going to talk about something other than Michael Cohen and Paul Manafort, which I appreciate you for. <laughs> go ahead. It's my pleasure. Yeah.
2: So this week, my three words are time will tell. And okay journalists know that that's the way we never want to end stories. We make fun of it and we think it's the most terrible and trite way. we just find other ways
1: to end it that way. So we find <laughs> other ways of saying
2: time will tell. Yeah. And that's what I keep doing every time I write a story about family separation.
1: Which has, like, been your issue for the last few months.
2: For the last year, really. Yeah. Um, up and down. And... Right now, there are hundreds of kids who are still in limbo, whose parents were deported without them, or whose parents have minor criminal records. All these designations that government lawyers used to sort of pull them out of the class of people who had to be reunited by deadlines that were imposed by a federal court in San Diego. As a result, we have no idea what's going to happen with these kids. How
1: many kids do we know it to be right now? It
2: fluctuates because some have gone back by now, Uh but it's still several hundred children.
1: Wow. And this is all a result of the Trump administration's
2: family separation policy. Which was supposed to
1: be this deterrent. Right, exactly.
2: It was supposed to deter people from coming to the United States by basically, you know, threatening them that if they do, they were going to have their kids taken away. And that's what happened for a lot of people. And there are just a lot of kids who've really even after this judge tried to force the reunification, fell through the cracks and now are stuck. And only time will tell what's going to happen to them.
1: So from what I read about this, it seems as if when the Trump administration put this policy in place, they had a plan to separate the families, but no plan to reunite them.
2: That's exactly the Um, case.
1: In one court proceeding, they said that the ACLU should do it. Mm -hmm. Are they any closer now to having a plan for this or is what we see now execution of their plan?
2: So... Now, just as you said, the ACLU and other advocacy groups and and just law firms who've stood up and said, we want to help, they're taking control of how to deal with these these other kids because the government just sort of gave it up to them like it was going to take too long. It was going to be too difficult. They had people raising their hands saying they wanted to do it. And I think at this point, the advocates and, and, you know, the people who were. Suing the government didn't really believe that it was going to happen in good faith or happen quickly. And so they were quite honestly happy to take on the work. But it is really shocking that after all of after everything we've been through with the family separation policy, the government is not
3: going to do the hard work of reconnecting.
2: Also,
1: just the headline, Trump administration partners with ACLU. On anything. I mean, well, that, isn't
3: it that's something? Not the Trump, I mean, I don't think the Trump administration necessarily wants to do that. There's a a really wonderful episode of The Daily. They did a two-part series on family separation this week. Caitlin, I'm, Caitlin's you know, in it. Want, of course. Yeah. Um, Thank you. But there's this one image that really stuck with me, which is that at the end, uh, it's following, you know, a group of children. And they're leaving the the courtroom in downtown Manhattan. Um, the children, the lawyers, the advocates, all of this, and there's like a pallet of water, just like a bo- bottled water mm-hmm. and Annie Correal, the reporter, says basically like this is all that the government gave them. This is it, and it's wow. just like a bunch of bottled water. Meanwhile, everybody has like snacks and toys and paperwork yeah. and blah blah Back blah for the, yeah, all cool of that stuff. stuff and i I think that that really symbolizes a lot,
1: you guess, I have three words: What are they? Lying in wait? And they are about Mr. Cohen and Mr. Manafort. I I really wish, if you have the last name Manafort, you should pronounce it as audaciously as possible. Yes, (laughs) Manaforte. So I want to talk about how Democrats are responding and faux responding to all the news of this week. So Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's private attorney, uh, former Trump campaign chair Paul Manafort, they are both facing prison time. And Michael Cohen, in his plea deal, he basically said, I broke the law uh, at the direction of my boss, who was a federal candidate. That is some Watergate-level stuff. But I don't bring up Lion and wait to talk about that. I want to talk about how Democrats are playing this. Mm-hmm. Um, they are just chomping at the bit, you guys. Yeah. They are just ready, 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 ready to see all of this keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. But the one word that they will not say is is impeachment.
4: Mm-hmm. It's
1: really quite interesting. There's interesting. been several stories this week where Nancy Pelosi and the rest of them have told Dems up and down, do not use the word impeachment. Whereas Republicans are using it a lot, saying if you vote for Dems, they'll impeach this guy.
2: I just wonder, as somebody who doesn't cover Congress, you know, are the Democrats sitting in secret backroom bars and meeting and coming up with a master plan? Or is it a lot more disorganized and people are just nervous and they know they shouldn't use the I word, but they don't know what they should do
3: instead? Yeah. I have a secret conspiracy theory, which is that like the Republicans are like on some sort of secret email chain and they are like all aligned with like all of their words and their their concepts. And the Democrats are just like, how do I do this? Oh, yeah. And okay. they are really not aligned.
1: Yeah. But what I find really interesting is how they are actually preparing all of these contingency plans to get ready for Mueller dropping some other shoes. They won't talk about it, but there's like these secret plans. So all of these liberal groups Mm -hmm. are basically making plans on how to protest should Donald Trump pardon people involved in this or fire someone like Mueller, right? So moveon.org, this big leftist group, they already have a plan called the Mueller Firing Rapid Response. if any of the key figures, Rosenstein, Jeff Sessions, whoever, are fired, they have actions planned. They say if the actions are triggered before 2 p.m. local time, events will begin at 5 p.m. local time. Wow. They say if actions are triggered after 2 p.m. local time, events will begin at noon local time the following day. They're like ready, ready, ready. Yeah. Yeah. And like you see this with Democrats, too. They are already drafting up language to craft bills to protect all of Mueller's information should Mueller be fired fired
2: interesting
1: like seeing what Dim's and the left are doing right now it's like when you have a friend who thinks they're about to be, be I guess proposed to and <laughs> the person so right hasn't asked them yet yeah. but they're still picking out the venue they're getting yeah.
3: their nails done they're getting still
1: the doing wine samples <laughs> yeah, yeah. but you're like they haven't proposed yet and, and the person's like they might.
2: Well, I need to have my nails done when they do. Yes, yeah.
1: the Dims are getting uh, their nails done. <laughs> They're so ready. So they are. In conclusion. Yes. Yeah, listen, so you got to stay ready. That's why my three words are lying in wait. Lying in wait. Yeah. Uh, Julia, what are your three words?
3: My three words are not her too, which um, is was sort of like what was going around on Twitter in relationship to the Asia Argento news. Mm-hmm. Um, Asia Argento is an Italian actress who was really at the forefront of the Me Too m- movement. She was one of the people who was like really like leading the charge. Okay, well,
1: she she had allegations against uh, Harvey against, Weinstein, yeah. yes.
3: Mm-hmm. Um and she gave this speech at Cannes that was like very, you know, emotional and everybody was like sort of like, oh Asia Argento, wow. So uh <laughs> this has been a week of sort of like I-, I felt an almost like vertigo about it. Yeah. Where it's just like this pit of your stomach. Um Jimmy Bennett is an actor who uh, was in a movie with Asia Argento when he was seven years old, which is how they met. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically it came out this week that Jimmy received a payment of $380,000 from Mm. Asia Argento related to an alleged assault that he experienced when he was 17 and Asi Argento was 37. And this was in, in California. Yeah, in California, the age of, of consent is 18. 18. Yeah. And he was 17 in 2013 when it happened. And, you know, ever since then, there, there were a lot of immediate questions like, what does this mean for the Me Too movement? What are we going to do? Because, you know, a predator, at first it was just like, everyone is good and everyone is bad
5: mm-hmm.
3: um, and you know as as all movements go on it mm-hmm. gets really yeah. messy
1: and complicated yeah. well and it's like I saw one headline where it basically was like this case proves that women are human too
2: right I, I think- mean oh, I'm sorry Julia no please go just was gonna say that I hated that headline because of course sexual assault is not Human, You know, when you say like... It's mostly men doing it. Well, but also it's like when people use that phrase like, oh, you're human. It's Mm. it's because, you know, everybody tells a white lie every once in a while. Like, I don't think sexual assault is quite considered, you know, just
3: like it happens.
2: I mean,
1: do you think, Julia, that this changes the movement?
3: I... Don't think it can. If Mm. you talk to every single woman I know has been dehumanized because of their sexuality in some way, Mm -hmm. Um, like every single one, 100 percent of women. And if you take this one sort of like reverse gender sexual assault situation and decide to like sweepingly discount these very true, very constant, very culturally present stories then you're not you're doing a disservice to everyone Mm. um both the victims and the perpetrators because the perpetrators of sexual assault don't have a face they don't have a gender they don't have anything that you just need to believe victims that is the most important thing
1: what has she said about it
3: she's denied
2: it she denied it she sort of said he was he was suffering psychologically and financially at the
3: time and we just wanted to help him yeah that was her sort of line of defense but i just hope that people are able to sit with the nuance and still talk about the important f- the important facts and the important like changes that need to be made yeah somebody can be both a victim and a perpetrator violence is very complicated and difficult to understand
1: mm. it's hard it yeah. is hard yeah yeah coming up we're going to talk with a member of the catholic church on how she's dealing with the latest reports of abuse by priests you're listening to
0: it's been a minute we'll be right back support for this npr podcast and the following message come from wix.com a web platform for creating your own professional website with wix whether it's your first time creating a website or you're a longtime pro you can do it yourself choose from hundreds of stunning templates or start from scratch with drag and drop technology and powerful web features Join over 125 million people already using Wix to create their own websites. Go to WIX.com to create yours today. So what will you create? Support also comes from Fracture. Fracture turns your favorite digital memories into meaningful photo decor by printing them directly on glass. They come ready to display out of the box, including the wall hanger or optional stand. Fracture prints are handmade in Gainesville, Florida. Give a unique gift or focus on the moments that tell your story. It's Been a Minute listeners can save 15% on their first order by visiting FractureMe.com slash Minute.
2: Hey, this is Stretch Armstrong. And this is Bapito Garcia, the hosts of What's Good. We're talking with one of the coolest cats around, Lenny Kravitz.
1: I remember this kid walked up to us in the hallway and he goes, Your dad's white! And he planted his finger like that. Subscribe now. We are back, you're listening to "It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two great guests today, Julia Furlan, head of audio at BuzzFeed, and also host of a podcast about the news called The, the News." news. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I like
3: it, too. Yeah. It's, it's certainly simple. It does the job. It yeah. does the
1: job. Yeah. Also, Caitlin Dickerson covering immigration for The New York Times. Glad you're here. Thank you. Gotta you got to go back to work as soon as we're done with you, I do. right? <laughs> okay. Well, we we'll move on. Okay. All right. Before we get to the next segment, quick question. Have either of you ever used those rentable dockless motorized scooters?
3: I have not, and I've never not. even seen one actually. Really,
1: they're all over LA. I know. I I've, I've seen them in them. pictures. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would also. I'm yeah.
3: a I'm a I'm a bike girl myself.
2: I hear
1: you. What about you, Caitlin?
3: I would do it. I haven't. I did
2: see them all over, like littering yeah. the streets of LA when I was there a couple of weeks ago, and it looks.
1: Bad. Yeah, I, I'm bringing up scooters this week because there's a news report out from BuzzFeed. Indeed. All about how scooter use is leading to more doctors and emergency room visits. Yeah, it's. Wow. People Not are crashing great. on those things. And
3: Electronic they're tripping scooters? over them.
2: Yes. I wonder what the age of these people are because on my street in Brooklyn, uh-huh. oh my God. It's swarming with babies on scooters, <laughs> swarming. Like you can, I can't walk to get a freaking bagel or to pick up my Man, dry cleaning. I can't feeding. get a
1: freaking bagel. <laughs> I was my dry
2: cleaning this morning Forget and I almost got it. mowed over by like a dozen four year olds on scooters and some of them they're tiny and some of them can push themselves like with their tiny little feet but a lot of them <laughs> they have both feet on the scooter and then their parent is just pushing their back
1: not the motorized scooters no just like not scooters the motorized motor. ones okay. no 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 no. alright so scooters in general bad Yeah. but these motorized <laughs> ones that you can rent apparently they're sending so folks to the ER um, it's so bad that uh, Catherine Lear she's a personal injury attorney she told BuzzFeed quote I think there's blood on the hands of every city that allows them to operate knowing how many riders and pedestrians are being injured. So blood metal. On the hands.
3: What kind of injuries? So metal. Are they, yeah. <laughs> what kind of
2: injuries you are these know, people having? Broken up, ankles. Missing
1: a tooth. How, just like, falling. Fall? Yeah. Teeth.
3: Because people are basically like, they're, they're there are two kinds of injuries. Like, the people who are riding on the scooters and getting injured and then there are people who are tripping over them because they're oh. just like laying yeah. askew on the
1: thing. That
2: makes sense to me. I definitely saw that in Los Angeles. That's interesting. Like not only does it look really terrible but hello people just trip over it
1: although i also think that there is a secret agenda of all press to just shade the hell out of scooters i don't know what it is but there's (laughs) never been a positive headline about these scooters (laughs) you're right all right guys now it's time for a segment that we call long distance where we call up someone somewhere in the world and talk with them about the news in their neck of the woods. This week, people are still dealing with the news that came out of a grand jury investigation in Pennsylvania. Uh, That grand jury uncovered widespread sexual abuse of children. Uh, The report said that more than 300 priests abused more than 1,000 children For several decades. I mean, it's just a sad, sad report. And the report also found that the church consistently covered this all up. They would settle with victims out of court. They would relocate priests who were known abusers. Uh, We heard from a listener to this show. Her name is Megan Vera. She reached out to us and wanted to talk about all this. Uh, She is Catholic. She is a mother of two young children, and she lives about five minutes away from the Pennsylvania border in Maryland. So this story is touching her and hitting her hard. Uh, Also, Megan has a really deep relationship with the church, uh, maybe deeper than most folks do because she teaches theology. She's an adjunct professor at Mount St. Mary's University. Uh, Of course, in this call, she's not speaking for the school. She's speaking for herself. But her point of view um, is probably very, very common right now amongst a lot of Catholics who have big questions about their church. Uh, So I called up Megan. Uh, She's from Emmitsburg, Maryland. Here's our chat. Hey, Megan, you there?
5: Yes. Hey, Sam. How are you? Good, good.
1: So... This report now out of Pennsylvania has been out for a week, a bit over a week. Mm-hmm. But save for the severity of this report, this isn't new for the Catholic Church. You know there right. were some reports like this as early as fifteen plus years ago. So when you heard about this one, were you surprised?
5: <laughs> I I know I shouldn't have been, right? Mm. Um, but for some reason, it really sideswiped me. Um, huh. It hit me pretty hard. Why I, do you think that it, is? It, it, on, a, on a personal note, I'm a mother now. When yeah. I wasn't, you know, in 2002, I was just a teenager. Uh, but also, just as a member of the church, uh, I think it hit me harder this time because I felt like we should know better by now. Like we, we should have taken care of this the first time. In a, we
1: being in the infinite,
5: church. Right, right. Like, we as a church should have handled this already. And if this is happening, you know, all around in Pennsylvania, that that gives me every reason to think this could be happening all around me. I mean, the people that I know, like the priests that I know and the bishops I know, I I love and trust, but I'm Mm -hmm. sure that the members of the parishes in Pennsylvania felt that way too, you know? So it's just so... um, among the faithful, we are deeply angry.
4: Like,
5: mm. We want this to stop now. Like, we want the priests and the bishops who are participating in this, we want them gone. <laughs> yeah. Like We are not okay with this. Um, and and I just, I, I'm trying to figure out how can we get the hierarchy to see um, how angry we are.
1: Yeah. Um, how have you dealt with all of this with your kids? I mean, they're very, very young, but yeah. I'm sure you're wondering about how to deal with this with them.
5: Yes. My my husband and I are already just really highly sensitive about making sure that we have conversations, even with our three-year-old now, about what is, you know, appropriate behavior between him and other adults, and if he ever feels uncomfortable, you know, what how he should react to that and how he can talk to us about that, and... All of this news has reminded me that a part of how I talk to him about that now even has to be saying, no matter who it is, you know, you can talk to us and we'll take your, your side. You know, we're with you.
1: Are there any things that you used to feel comfortable doing in the church that you're not going to do anymore?
5: Yeah. Um, something I've always been careful about, is almost never leaving my children with other people. <laughs> mm. um, it has definitely um, brought conversations between my husband and I about, okay, well, are we going to let our kids be altar servers if they wow. want to be altar servers someday? Wow! How are we going to send our kids into confessionals someday? You know, like if, uh. like when they have their first confession, like that. These things that that we just have to be. Thinking about and to be honest, it really hurts that I have to be thinking about that because the church has been such a source of light and life and joy for me. Mm. And to have this kind of of can I say evil,
1: <laughs> you yeah. know, and darkness, I would say um, evil, yeah,
5: in a place that has been such an important and life-giving place for me uh, is just is really heartbreaking.
1: So I hear you saying that in your gut, you're a little worried about sending your children to do certain things at church because there's a risk that a predator could be there. And I guess in my mind, what I'm asking is, well, if you had a grocery store that you went to a lot, but you found out that Mm -hmm. store managers throughout the store chain were molesting kids, you stopped shopping there. Yep. Why not? If you have this fear now, why not just leave the church?
5: Yeah, I hear you, Sam. Um, I actually chose uh, to become a member of the Catholic Church. Like, I didn't. I wasn't raised
4: hmm. in,
5: in the church. Hmm. I converted to Catholicism when I was a teenager, and I. I Entered the church because I experienced the ministry of Jesus through the ministry of the church hmm. in a really profound way. What was that way? Yeah, I was I was invited by friends
1: uh-huh. uh,
5: to to come to the church and to participate in some youth ministry events, and I did. And at first, I was actually pretty weirded out because hmm. there are rituals, you know, and there are bells and there's incense, but. What I found was that, especially through the sacraments um, mm-hmm. and the Eucharist, um, the Catholic Church believes that it's the real presence of Jesus with you. Um, and I, I actually experienced that. Like I felt that in, in, a, in a kind of tangible way what did it that feel like? I haven't anywhere else. Um, it feels like it, it feels like if your eyes are closed but you know there's somebody in the room, Mm. Um, and someone that you know and love and knows and loves you. And I can't, I can't turn away from that. I can't. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, wanna, I actually want to fight for that.
1: Yeah. What has your church, your parish, done in response to this report?
5: So um, when I went to Mass this past Sunday... Everybody as everybody was filing in, like we were all kind of looking at each other, and it was kind of it was quieter than usual in the church as everybody was coming in, and mm. I think we were all wondering, like is our pastor going to say something? Is he going to face this? Is he going to pull it into the light and talk about it uh, And I was so relieved he you know in the first few minutes of the mass of the service, he was just saying. Clearly, we are here today to pray for the victims of of this abuse, and to think through and be together and heal together uh, as we look at what at the terrible things that these priests have done and that the the way that the terrible ways that the bishops have covered it up. Uh, so, and, and that was some that was what he preached on, you know, during the homily during the sermon. And I was really grateful that he brought it into the light in. In the church in yeah. our community and yeah. in some ways I wonder if, if that's where we have to start and so I hope that within my parish family within my church family we can start to think through how can we respond to this here yeah and make it better and safer here
1: I really appreciate this I know it's a very difficult sensitive issue to talk about but I know uh, you sharing your story is going to move our listeners
5: Thank you for making a space for this conversation. Um, it it needs to be talked about. So thank it, you very much for that.
1: It most definitely does. Thank you. Thank you so much for for your courage.
5: Thank you.
1: Thanks again to listener Megan Vera from Emmitsburg, Maryland. Back here in the studio now with Caitlin and Julia. So the Pope was quiet for a few days after this report came out, but he did finally speak. Um, spoke earlier this week. And some parts of his letter were quite poignant. Um, He said, quote, we are challenged as the people of God to take on the pain of our brothers and sisters wounded in their flesh and in their spirit. If in the past the response was one of a mission, today we want solidarity in the deepest and most challenging sense to become our way of forging present and future history. But I noticed with those comments, one thing he did not do was call for any specific action out of this. Yeah. He didn't name names. He didn't say all these folks are fired. Uh, you call him for patience and for penance and for prayer and for fasting. It's a little thoughts and prayers.
3: One of my best friends is lives in Pennsylvania and really? is part of the diocese that— um, yeah part she, of the I diocese been, yeah she's it's like evolved. she that's the the church that they so go to so she knows part some of the, the folks diocese. that were caught up in this They're, the guy's dead the mm-hmm. one that was part of their church who had abused kids but um, I've been talking to her a lot they didn't go to church last week
1: wow Yeah, so my mom wow. didn't either she's and
3: Catholic she's Catholic and
2: also were you raised Catholic? yeah
1: what's your mom saying?
2: She just said she's struggling, and she she's having a really hard time, and she hasn't gone to church, and she doesn't know when she will again. Um And she wants to understand better how we got here because I think what's becoming more and more clear to Catholics is how the structure of the church was sort of built to allow for this kind of thing, and the Pope
1: mm-hmm. seemed to address that when he finally spoke about it, yeah, because for a while it was like, oh, there's just some bad apples. But now there's this acceptance, I think, that there was a structure that allowed this to go on, for and a, a playbook, long
3: time. A, playbook. And a playbook that said if you discover abuse, then you shuffle the person around. Mm. It specifically, in some ways, said like you know don't wow. don't bring shame to the Catholic Church is sort of uh. like the main point, and that was held above believing the victims wow. or taking right. taking action.
1: Yeah. It's time for a break. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Walton Family Foundation, where opportunity takes root. More information is available at Mm waltonfamilyfoundation.org.
1: Dating has never been more complicated. Trust me, I know. But our friends over at the WNYC show Death, Sex, and Money, they have been spending their summer trying to figure it all out. Host Anna Sale has been checking in with a group of listeners as they date in real time, swiping and ghosting, navigating open relationships and consent, and of course, falling hard. You can binge the entire summer of episodes at deathsexmoney.org slash dates. That's a great website. Uh, and you can look out for the final episode of the series on September 5th. They will check in with the summer daters to hear where they've landed. And you'll also hear some terrible dating stories that other listeners were inspired to send in. All right, again, find the series at deathsexmoney.org slash dates. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Caitlin Dickerson, who covers immigration for the New York Times just down the road. How far was your walk here this, uh, today?
2: I didn't go to work before I went Came straight. Oh. oh. I, worked, I WFH'd this morning.
1: Nice. Work yeah. from home. <laughs> and Julia Furlan, head of audio at BuzzFeed and host of the BuzzFeed News podcast called The, the News. news. <laughs> you guys, it's time for my favorite game. Who said, that? who said that? Oh, this is your first time who playing? Said who said that? I've been playing in my head for so long. <laughs> Caitlin's an old Have you won when you played? I won last
2: time, okay. which is shocking okay. because my knowledge of pop culture is abysmal.
1: You guys know how this game works. I share a quote from the week. You have to guess who said that, or at least get close, get the story it's referring to. Of course, the winner gets absolutely nothing, but it's still going to be fun, okay? Yeah, yeah. You ready? Yep. First quote queen of the week, may go to Harriet Tubman. What? Has she just sat there and ate her rice? Your history would have been a lot less triumphant. What famous rapper was out here comparing their struggle to Harriet oh Tubman's this week? Who
3: in I, I kind names? of want to say, I, I, I'm, I, this is a total guess on my part. Is it Azalea Banks?
1: It's another female rapper.
3: Oh. Another
1: female rapper. Just start throwing out names. Nikki?
3: Yes. Nikki.
1: Nikki Nicki Minaj Menach- has been on a tear all week because her newest oh. album, Queen, uh, oh, came right, out at number course. two on the Billboard charts, not number one. She mm. was so mad hard. about that. Yeah. And she says that the way that Spotify prioritizes streams and plays and whatever led to her being undercounted for her streaming numbers. Much and- like
2: Harriet Tubman <laughs> also struggled in her life. So she basically was yeah. saying her, no, She honey,
1: was saying no. on her Beats radio show, She she said... Her struggle with Spotify was just like Harriet Tubman's struggle with, I don't know, the institution of slavery. (laughs)
3: Um, I hate this.
1: Also, let Harriet make a rap album. It's probably going to be better than Nicki's latest one. (laughs)
4: Agreed.
1: Agreed. Next quote. And you can just get the topic of this one. Okay. Pure poison. One of the worst foods you can eat. There's a food that's been in the news this week that has been getting a lot of pushback on its health claims.
3: Oh, is it coconut oil? (gasps) Yes! Wow. I I found this. Mm.
1: Did you find a suspect? I
3: was... Let people put coconut oil in their
1: stuff. This quote is from a Harvard professor named Karen Michaels. She had this speech on coconut oil that went viral in the last week. It got like a million views. She basically says that we've all been lied to by big coconut, that (laughs) coconut oil is not a health food at all. Uh, She says that it's bad or worse than butter and lard because it has more saturated fat.
2: Well, butter and lard are both great.
1: Not ingesting in large quantities. They taste great. Why do we think it's good? Because have you seen it? Co- doesn't, look it doesn't, like coconut oil? It doesn't look healthy. It looks like lard.
3: It's perfect. It's good the way it is. There's I have two. I have three, three kinds of coconut oil oh. at home currently. Do you feel,
1: eat it or just apply it to your um, skin? I
3: can't eat it. It doesn't agree with me. I can't. Okay. Like If I eat it, it does not work. Wow, uh-huh. and you were out here defending it, but you I actually can't even digest
2: it. I will defend it. As a
1: body butter.
3: As a, yeah, I, I like, use it on my body.
1: Maybe we I'm, should just put it on, on our bodies. Yeah, on yes. our bodies. And
2: maybe
3: not in our bodies. Exactly. As much.
1: Aretha Franklin used to swallow a little bit of olive oil before she sang to lubricate the vocal cords.
3: That makes makes sense yeah. yeah that seems logical yeah i'm i'm gonna say yes, yes. to that okay. yeah. yeah support anything aretha did is fine right we're behind <laughs> TV, it yeah. doesn't matter
1: yeah uh julia you're up to zip in a game that has three questions uh i'm not gonna say you won already i will say this last one will be worth three points can so we do Kate, daily double oh, great yeah. yes do yeah. it there yeah. we go yeah, all right triple. ready okay the quote is sometimes we see cats and dogs but never goats <sighs> Oh, my God. We're, goats were, like, trending in New York this week for a big reason. Oh,
3: right. The this goats. Is... that There were there were, there were were goats. There were goats running in they? Iowa? No. It,
1: Goat, it,
3: there were goats? Were, were they in go- Prospect
1: Park? They were, like, even in a more New York place. Times
3: Square. Empire State, Empire State Building. Empire State Building. Oh, my well, how God. Do you what are in New York? How Brooklyn do you commute
1: in New York? Broken Bridge? Bridge? No. How do you commute the in subway? New York? The subway. Yes. There were
2: goats oh in the my subway. God. Yes. It was the commissioner of the MTA.
1: It was uh, commanding officer of the Transit District 34. We'll give it to you, I'm great.
3: Kaitlin, congratulations I'm on so- this important win. I cannot believe that I didn't get that one. But didn't see this? I'm not the goat. I am not the greatest of all time. That's what <laughs> goat is. Right?
1: There were goats, two goats, on the inline subway tracks this week, wandering Ooh. the tracks. Uh, the official Twitter for MTA, this is a Metropolitan Transit Authority. They tweeted. Two very bad boys. Oh my god. Because New York. But then because New York, John Stewart, hometown hero, rescued them. He, what? he picked him up from, like, the office they were having to chill at. While they, and he took them to the shelter.
2: Wow. Wow. He's a stand-up dude. Hero.
3: He was just like, who's taking care of the goats? Like, where are he they going to go tonight? The
2: goats. Wow.
1: If you saw goats on the subway, what would what would I would not run towards them.
3: I would 100% run towards them. It's a goat. <laughs> yeah. You're going to see it once in your life. They're cute. Yeah. There are Wait. lots of things that happen on the
2: subway. Some of them are aggressive. Oh, a
3: goat in the subway once
2: in your life. I was like, I've seen yeah. goats <laughs> a few times. Oh. You know, no, on the subway. I don't like to brag. But. The
3: subway is a place where you have to capture everything every tiny little droplet of joy that you can. No, mm-hmm. the
1: subway is the place, whenever I'm in the city, I spend the whole week being like, I hope those kids that dance don't come on my train. Because they <laughs> I, make me showtime, so nervous. The Showtime kids, I'm like, are going to hit showtime. somebody. I'm pro They're going to hit somebody. I
3: gave five bucks to the Showtime dancers oh last week. God. They were so good.
4: <laughs> they were
1: really good. But like they are right in front of you, It's face. so dangerous.
3: I just don't want them to get hurt. I don't want them to
2: get hurt. I don't, hurt. Want, me hurt. Like I don't hurt. want me to get hurt. They did not look like they
1: were going to get hurt. I don't want me to get hurt. Let me go to Cirque Soleil for that anyways
3: you're right you're right
1: well I tell you what our listeners won today they did regardless of who we deemed the winner of this game yes they
3: did
2: (laughs) it was a
1: fun little bit of audio All right, now it's time to end the show as we do every week we ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week we encourage folks to brag they do Brent hit the tape
4: hey
2: sam this is nikki from california and the best thing that has happened to me all week is that my friends have come from all corners of the country to celebrate my birthday this weekend and the second best thing that could happen to me this week is if this played on your podcast on friday which is on my actual birthday
5: (laughs) thanks sam we all love your podcast
2: Hi Sam, this is Caitlin calling from Denver, Colorado, and the best part of my week was that I got to go camping with my dog, my friends, and their dogs in Buena Vista, Colorado.
5: The best thing that happened to me this week was I picked out my wedding gown. I successfully paid off the rest of my student loans.
4: After four years of being out of education, I'm back as a high school math teacher, and it is so fun to be thinking and talking about math again, and I can't wait to do it with classrooms full of new students.
2: Hey Sam, it's Jennifer. The best thing that's happened to me this week is that we accomplished the miraculous feat of engineering of getting everything packed into the car that my daughter needs for her freshman year of college. While we're away, our other daughter will uh, leave for her sophomore year. So I've warned them that it's my prerogative to shed some tears, but I'll try not to be too embarrassing.
1: Hey, Sam. This is Charlie from Richmond, Virginia. And the best thing that happened to me this week is that I ran a mile from my house to the bakery in my neighborhood. It was special because that happened to be the bakery I used to walk to every day during chemotherapy in order to stay active. What a difference a year can make. hope you're doing well and that your week was good, too. Thanks for the show.
4: Thanks. Thanks.
1: See you later. Bye. Oh man, Charlie, I'm happy for you. Yeah. I'm happy for all the folks. Yeah,
3: Charlie. Oh, everybody.
1: Many thanks to all the voices you heard there Nikki and all of her friends Caitlin, Samantha, Grace, Brian, Jennifer, Charlie We're glad to hear that you're doing well Yes. We listen to all of these that come in uh, You can email me the best part of your week in any week at any point throughout the week At samsanders at npr.org sanders at npr.org Many thanks to two of the best parts of my week <laughs> My <laughs> guest, Julia Furlan, head of audio at BuzzFeed Caitlin Dickerson covering I'm immigration the at the New York boy. Times And I guess thanks to Postman Thanks Post, Thanks, Post Malone, for Post never Malone. giving up.
3: Has he landed yet? For,
1: for living
3: another day. <laughs> living
1: another day. Post Malone, we salute you. The show was produced this week by Brent Bachman and Kumari Devarajan. Steve Nelson is our director of programming. We had editing from Jeff Rogers and Jordana Hochman. Our big boss is NPR's VP of Programming, Anya Grundman. Listeners, refresh your feed Tuesday morning for my chat with Sid. She is an R&B singer that you should get to know. She's great, she does her own solo work. She's also making really great stuff right now with her band The Internet. They have a new album out been playing it nonstop the last few weeks. We talk about her album and how she is kind of rewriting the playbook on what it means to be a queer artist today. Also, note, we're off next Friday. It's Labor Day weekend. Um, people are doing things. I'll be officiating my first wedding.
3: Ooh, wow. What yeah. a lucky couple.
1: My, well, yeah. I'm lucky to be able to do it. As I'm gone that weekend, uh, we're going to have a special episode of our show with conversations that I had with Brian Tyree Henry, who plays Paperboy on Atlanta, and with Rachel Brosnahan, who is the lead of one of my favorite shows. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel Check for that Next Friday They're both up for Emmys I think they'll win
2: Such good shows both I good would shows. give them an
1: Emmy Right? <laughs> <laughs> would yeah, you give totally. Post Malone an Emmy?
3: <laughs> no <laughs> He doesn't He just won a big award he's
1: Is it a big award? Yeah, he's good a And VMA? he lives Is a VMA a big and award? And he lives He lives
3: <laughs> It's clawing towards
4: relevance yes.
1: <laughs> Post Malone lives uh, Thank you all for listening I'm Sam Sanders Talk soon